Well, this morning's verse is not one that someone turned in, but since it's Memorial Day, I wanted to share this verse with you as we begin our study. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I absolutely, positively believe that that is the verse that needs to be attached to Memorial Day. And if you will, I, I'm going to ask you to allow me a brief editorial. See, I don't think that it's appropriate. As a matter of fact, I believe it's inappropriate to say Happy Memorial Day. Not sure exactly what to say. Maybe just may we never forget. May we never forget. See, my concern this morning is that the America that so many of the men and women who gave their lives for this nation on behalf of our freedoms, that America no longer exists. And it causes me grave concern. To be blunt, it is really hard. And if you notice, we haven't sung lately, God bless America. Perhaps we could sing God save America. But see, God, no, God does not save nations. He saves individuals. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I dare say that the Lord is not the God of this nation any longer. This nation has become twisted, vulgar, and there's much disdain for the things of God. And if I'm wrong, somebody straighten me out. But here's what I also believe. I believe there's still so much right with this nation. I believe this country is worth defending. I, worth, I believe it's worth fighting for, worth dying for, worth preserving. Amen? But I also want to tell you that I realize that my real citizenship is in heaven. And I'm getting awfully homesick. Awfully homesick. As a matter of fact, the book that we're going to be looking at this morning, Philippians, one of its major themes is where our citizenship is. It's in the heavenlies. Look with me at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from where also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians 2, verse 6. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when you read the letter, the epistle to the church in Philippi, you read the letter to the church in Ephesus, you get the feeling that our position, our citizenship, and not just the feeling, you get the understanding that our citizenship is in heaven. As a matter of fact, the word there for conversation uh, is actually politetubai. Uh, and it has to do with a body of citizens. Let your citizenship, so that's what I've, I've written in by that word conversation, because how we look at and view the word conversation is not how, uh, is, is not what is meant here. When we talk about conversation, we're talking about how we discuss things with one another. The word there is citizenship. It has to do with a body of citizens, a seat of government which we are citizens of, which have both rights and responsibilities. The verb of that word citizenship is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Look at Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation, that's the verb form, but the word there is citizenship, only let your citizenship be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. And whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, we are to have that mindset that how we behave here reflects on our heavenly position in Christ. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we are ambassadors of God. An ambassador, someone who's sent from a foreign country in order to represent that country someplace else. Well, folks, our job is to represent that far country, represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven. And as I mentioned, I'm getting homesick. See, it's all about mindset. It's all about mindset. Thinking, understanding, realizing, determining that this world is not my home. I am just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I'm thankful this world is not my home. I am so thankful that this is not all there is. Don't get me wrong. I love my country. I will defend my country. But I don't defend my country right or wrong. If it goes contrary to the Scripture, I'm going to speak out. Amen? Because that's where my citizenship is, is in heaven. So as we observe this Memorial Day, as we remember all of those who died, as a matter of fact, I, Tim, do you have that poem up there? I want to read to you a poem that was written, not sure I, ah, there you go. 
It was written by uh, Second Lieutenant Joseph Kinney. Uh, there's Joe. He was a cousin. He was killed in Vietnam in 1969. This is a poem he sent home to Uncle Fletcher right before he died. Somewhere in an unknown land stands a lonely but not forgotten man. He's there to keep his people free, to live in peace like you and me. He fights by day and he prays by night, for tomorrow again he must fight. He's counting the tour day by day, cause home he'll come and home he'll stay. He trudges along wanting to rest, knowing he can't, he does his best. While deep inside he sings a song to ease the pain of a day so long. The sight of war is an ugly one. But for him, it's a job that must be done. He dreams of the day when he'll go home to the ones he loves and calls his own. Why can't the world just live in peace when this asking the very least? Lieutenant Joe Kinney, Volpalaca, Alabama, 1969. While I was wondering where I was going to go off to college, Joe was in Vietnam, and I appreciate his sacrifice. So I just wanted to read that to you. So as we remember these men who gave their lives so that we could gather like this here today, let's be thankful for them. But the one who really gave his life in order for us to come together is the Lord Jesus Christ. For greater love hath no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Christ has done for us. Well, this morning, I'm glad that we're in the book of Philippians. As we look at this book, we learn that Christ is our great supplier. We learn where our real citizenship is and so many other tremendous, tremendous doctrinal truths as we launch into the book of Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. I'm going to share with you a truth that you can lock onto, you can embrace, you can grab hold of, and know with, without any doubt that it's true. God has proven himself faithful over and over and over again. And I bring your attention to this verse. But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, period. See, you may notice you don't hear me preach a lot about giving. You certainly don't ever hear me preach about tithing. That's under the law. You never hear me preach on giving and me wagging a finger and telling you you need to give because I trust God to move on your hearts when we have a need. 
The scripture says, and my God shall supply all of your need. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. When we, we're going to start at the first and kind of work our way back. But just as we get into that, my God shall supply all of your need, whether it be emotional, whether it be physical, and boy, Heidi, spiritual. He's met all of our need according to his riches and glory. And we can thank him for that. He is our great supplier. We can trust Him. We can trust Him. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1 as we get started. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Here's another doctrinal truth that I want to declare and I want you to grasp and hold on to and understand. Philippians 1, 6. Take this personally, okay? And being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you are redeemed, if you are a new creation in Christ, God has begun his work in you and he will perform it. If you're living for the Lord, you know, you can rejoice and be glad. If you're not living for the Lord, be warned. Be warned. Being confident of this thing, that he who's begun his work in you, if you are a member of the body of Christ, you have been saved, God is not going to lose you from his grip. God is not going to turn loose of you. He is going to work on you. He's going to direct you. He's going to mold you. He's going to shape you. And I've got some good advice. Make it easy on him by being submissive to him. Instead of kicking against the pricks, instead of trying to go against his will, surrender to it. Because he's going to get his way. He's going to have his purpose done in your life. Being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it. And you know what that will is? According to Romans 8, it's to conform you to the image of his son. That's, God's, that's the work God's doing in every one of your lives is to conform you to the image of his son. And it is his son that is going to present you to himself blameless, spotless, without spot, without wrinkle. Ephesians 1.4. I think I forgot to give you this one, Tim, but that's okay. Ephesians 1.4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 27. That he might present, talking about the church, the body of Christ, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 23, 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. 
And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. The next verse, faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Do what? Preserve you blameless. Preserve you blameless because you belong to him. And being confident of this very thing that he has begun his good work in you, he is going to do it. And that's to conform you to the image of his son. To present you blameless, spotless. See, talk about how he is our great supplier. Not only does he supply us salvation, but he supplies you with that perfect standing before himself. Isn't he a wonderful Savior? Isn't that a tremendous doctrinal truth? Doesn't it cause your heart to swell and makes you just want to say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. It's in, it's in Philippians 4, and we'll get there, or Philippians 3, where we find out that as he conforms us to the image of his son, but it's, he also takes it upon himself to change our vile bodies like his body. Perfect. All of this we learn in this book, in this letter to the church in Philippi. Philippians 1.10, folks, is such an important verse when it comes to our church and its doctrinal position. Because it's an important verse and we need to understand. Is my mic on? It is, okay. Okay, so Philippians 1.10. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. The word excellent, sort of like the word conversation, needs a new translation. We don't use it, the word excellent, in the same, same way any longer. That that we may prove or we may test things that differ. This verse in this letter to the church in Philippi, he was making sure that this young church understands that there were things that differ. And what he was saying, because he's about to tell them, be followers of me. And there are things that differ. There was some confusion. There were some things that seem to be inconsistent. And so when he's telling them, even for them to, to prove or to test those things that, uh, uh, that differ, uh, the question you have to ask yourself is, what, what, what differs? What are those things that differ? And i got news for you. The Bible's not inconsistent. Yet there are some things that when you study and you look at, you go, well, wait a minute, maybe, there, how, how do you put those two things together? In other words, under the law, if you didn't tithe, you were stealing from God. Yet Paul tells the church, let every man give as he purposes in his own heart, not out of necessity, for God loves, not grudgingly, for God loves a cheerful giver. Folks, that's a big difference between if you don't give, you're stealing from God to 
Let every man give as he purposes in his own heart. See, I'm not going to stand up here and say, you better give 10%. What I am going to tell you to give as God has blessed you and as he lays it on your heart to give. See, people can say, oh, there's, a con- there's an inconsistency. You know, th- just the whole difference between prophecy and mystery that which dealt with Israel and that which deals with the church, the body of Christ, those differences are major. Somebody may say, well, there are inconsistencies there. What about prayer? In John 14, the Lord tells the disciples, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. He goes on to say where two or three, uh, where, where you, you two or more agree as touching anything, my Father will do it. Yet without a doubt, we've all prayed certain things. And the answer was not forthcoming. Or the answer was no, because we always, God always provides an answer. But with that apostolic authority, they had that authority. But see, Philippians 4 gives us guidelines for our prayer life today with joy, with thanksgiving, not being anxious for anything, we let our request be made known unto God. And what does God promise? That He will do it or that He'll provide that peace that passes understanding? The peace that passes understanding. See, so if, if you're not searching those things, if you're not recognizing those things that differ, and that's Paul's whole point here to this young church in Philippi. The assembly. How many of you showed up last night or yesterday around sundown Friday and waited all day yesterday for us to show up to worship? I hope nobody, uh, Pat, did not. You know where liars go, Washington, D.C. But anyway, uh, because we, we don't gather on the Sabbath. We come together on the first day of the week. We come together on Sunday. We worship on Sunday. We're no longer under the law. All of these things, and Paul was making sure they understood. You search the Scriptures. You judge. You approve. You understand those things that differ. Salvation is a big, big difference. Salvation and what Peter told Israel they needed to do. As far as repent and be baptized, every one of you. I mean, that, that was, it was essential. Christ Jesus told the rich, uh, the rich uh, young ruler, he said, what's, what's the answer to eternal life? How do I have eternal life? What did Christ tell him? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Do you think I'm going to stand up here and tell you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor? No, I, to be saved, that's, that's not how you're saved today. But it's to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. See, that's things that differ. And it's important that we understand God's word and we point out. And that's just a few. We could spend all day here talking about the things that differ. But as we do, we give God the glory and we realize just how amazing his grace is. But in Philippians 1, verse 20, 
There are so many. Between, between that verse 10 and verse 20, there's so much more. But look at verse 20. According to my earnest, well, let's start with verse 19. For I know this shall to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation, my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I, I, don't, I know not. For I'm in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. See, he knew. Back over in Acts 14, he'd been stoned to death. He had ascended into the third heaven. He understood it was far better. He's speaking from authority. He had a desire to depart and to be with the Lord, which was far better, or stay with them because he knew they needed him. So I read this, and it gives me some insight into what heaven is like. That's why when we pray for Marge, we pray for Faye's mom. She's 102 years old. She, she has led a good life, and I'm telling you, she is so ready to go home and be with the Lord. It, it's, it's amazing to sit there with her and knowing what her heart's desire is and not pray, Lord, take her, take her. Because I believe that verse. He was in a strait between two things, to, to, uh, to die and to be with the Lord, which is far better. We learn these truths from God's Word and from the church, from, from that letter there in Philippi. Philippians 2, Philippians 2, boy, what a lesson for the church today, an important lesson for the church today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. You want to do away with all church dissension? You want to do away with all church bickering? You have a body of believers that puts the other person ahead of themselves. That their heart's desire is to demonstrate the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they follow that verse. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own interest, but every man also on the interest of others. See, that's what the body of Christ needs to do as it comes together. It's not argue and debate and bicker over what color paint. Not that we, we don't do that. I'm using things we don't do over how this is going to be repaired or that's going to be fixed or that's going to be painted or you just don't bicker. And if each person is putting the interest of the other ahead of themselves and being Christ-like, what a blessing that is to one another. As a matter of fact, it's called having the mind of Christ. 
what the next verse says. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. You talking about humbling. God himself divested himself of his glory, of his splendor in order so that he could be born of a virgin and he could die and provide the salvation that you and I so desperately need. That having the mind of Christ, that is what God calls for a local congregation. The message to the church in Philippi, this is the mindset you're to have, the mind of Christ. When you study the mind of Christ, you realize it was, the, it was the mind of humility. It was the mind of forgiveness. It was the mind of submissiveness. That's the mind of Christ. And that's what he calls us as members of the body of Christ to have. The mind of forgiveness, the mind of submissiveness. The mind of humility. Each putting the other ahead of ourselves boy chapter chapter two there's so much more so much more to chapter two but i can tell you this verse nine wherefore god also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Everyone who has ever taken a breath of life is going to come to the point where they realize that Jesus is Lord. There's not going to be a single person that goes off into eternity that does not understand that God is real, that His judgment is real, but His forgiveness is real for those who by faith have believed. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Folks, that's coming. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. This is what Paul was hoping for this church in Philippi. He, understanding the world in which they lived, understanding the troubles and the times that they were facing, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, the rapture, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Because, church, you're going to be there with me, is basically what Paul was saying. Chapter 3. Chapter 3. Wow, what a powerful, powerful verse 10. Now let's start with verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. See, Paul was talking to the church in Philippi about how righteous he was under the law, 
He kept the laws best he could. I mean, he got the praise from all of those Jewish folks that were urging him, egging him on to do the stuff that he was doing. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. He was a Pharisee. For what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, not his faith in Christ, but the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. When you read this and you kind of get a, an idea of the kind of personality Paul had, he understood that the things this world offered him, the praise and the wealth and the prestige and the glory that this world offered him, he said, I count those as dung just for the excellency of knowing Christ. See, that needs to be our attitude, folks, when it comes to the things of this world. Lord, I surrender it all. Lord, I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for what you've given me. I thank you for how you've directed me. Lord, I come and understand that I am to be a, a good steward of what you've given me. But Lord, if you were to take it away tomorrow, if I were to lose everything tomorrow, you're going to supply my need according to your riches in glory. And know this, if the Lord takes away, and Faye, remind me if this happens, if the Lord takes everything away tonight, it was because I needed for Him too. See, my God shall supply all of your need, including if He brings me to the point where all I'm depending upon, all that I have is Him then glory to His name. See, that's where God wants to bring us. I may not want to be brought to that point. I'm just going to confess. I don't want to be brought to that point. I don't think anybody does, but know this. If I'm brought to that point, I needed to be brought to that point for His glory. And for his praise. That's the point that Paul is getting across to these, these young believers. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Folks, that's not talking about knowing that power when the rapture happens and you're resurrected. He's Paul is saying, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the effect of his resurrection. I want to know all that involves now. That's what he's saying, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Because there's resurrection power right now in your daily lives. Trusting God, looking to him who is the author and finisher of faith. 
Verse 17, Philippians 3. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us as an example. Over and over and over and over and over again, Paul makes sure that these young believers, in all of these letters that he's writing, especially during his prison time, that they understand they're to be followers of him. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. His message is different than the message of the twelve. It's important we understand that. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Oh, that that may never be describing you and I. Amen? For our citizenship, there it is again, for our citizenship is in heaven, from where also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are citizens of heaven. You are seated there right now in Christ. Praise God for that. Verse 21. See, not only are you to consider that's where your citizenship is. Verse 21. Who shall change our vile body? Literally, our body of humiliation. Who shall change our vile body? our body of humiliation, that it might be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Make no mistake, it is not your works, your deeds, your efforts that's going to give God the privilege of transforming you. He is the one that's going to be transforming you based upon His will, His purpose. He is going to change your vile body and give you a body like His. Wow, what a Savior. What a Savior. Chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. How does He end with this letter to the Philippians? What a powerful chapter this is. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That needs to be our mindset. That needs to be our attitude. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation, the Greek there has to do with gentleness, your meekness, your patience. And moderation. Let your moderation or your gentleness be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, theologians debate constantly over just exactly what that portion of Scripture means. The Lord is at hand. It, he's, he is expecting the rapture that, to take place, that the Lord is about to return, or that the Lord is at hand. He's ever, he's ever there. He's ever present. You pick. Pray about it first. But the Lord is at hand. I tell you, He is. Look at verse 6. Be careful for nothing, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That verse is pretty special because in my dad's new Bible, right before he went in for open heart surgery, that's the verse he underlined. And dad told a bunch of folks, he said, you know, I don't feel good about this surgery. I'm thinking about just sort of putting it off. Didn't, he just didn't feel right about it. And he didn't survive it. And so as we were going through a bunch of stuff, and I have my dad's Bible, that was the one verse that he had underlined. To be anxious for nothing. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. When it talks about prayer here, it's talking about adoration. When you pray, you start out just praising God for who He is and what He's doing in your life and all the blessings that He's bestowed upon you. You start out adoring God. Your supplications, those are personal needs. With thanksgiving, we know what thanksgiving is. Let your request, that specific specific petitions for particular things. That's how God wants us to pray. You pour it out there. Here it is, Lord, but not being concerned. And I got to tell you, when I pray, I have to really pray, Lord, help me not to be anxious. Not knowing the outcome of something tends to cause me to be anxious, concerning. But God's Word's very clear. To be anxious for nothing. You know why? Because you can trust God all the way through it. And verse 7, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When you pray, we're almost done. When you pray, pray in this manner. expecting God to give you that peace that passes understanding. This is exactly what he said he would do. Don't go to John 14 when Christ told the apostles, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. We're not under that apostolic authority to pray. Where we go as members of the church, the body of Christ in this present dispensation is there. You can't go and say, God, you said if I prayed in Jesus' name, you are going to do it, and I expect you to do it, and I'm going to stand here until you do it, because you said you can have all the faith in the world, and you want this mountain to be moved, but you're not under that authority to say, move mountain, we're not under that program. But here's the program we are under. If you're having difficulty, if there are things that you're anxious over, you can go and say, Lord, I'm going to cast all this upon you. And you have promised, you have told me that you will give me the peace that passes all understanding. And you know what he is obligated to do based on his word? 
to give you that peace that passes all understanding. Pray it. Expect it. Because he is a faithful God. So in verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, he tells us what, what to think of and to think on. Do that, church. Take that verse and apply it to every aspect of your life. I think the problem the church has today is they think about anything and everything but this as a guideline. Verse 10, and I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last, the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. He's un he understood that they wanted to help him, but they couldn't. Not that I speak of respect in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Boy, did we get to that spot. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know how to be poor and I know how to be rich. And everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's what Paul tells the church there. Now, let's not abuse that scripture. You cannot say, I'm going to jump off this building and I can fly. You cannot say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me and jump off of this building or jump out of an airplane without a parachute or do something as idiotic as that and think, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's not what that verse is talking about. I think you know better than that, right? It's in those moments of doubt. It's in those moments of difficult situations and difficult emotional trauma. Times when you need God to just come and wrap his arms around you and draw you to himself. That you find him faithful to do that. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Folks, you can count on God to do that. That's not saying, and I know Burl Payne, bless his heart, he used to remind me at every board meeting, he was our treasurer for a long time. And Burrow would always remind us, well, he'll supply your need, doesn't supply your wants, so be careful. And yes, Burrow, yes, Burrow, we understand. But the Scripture does say that my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. You can trust him. If he doesn't supply that, you know what? You didn't need it. You didn't need it. But God is faithful. And I can tell you there are so many opportunities where God has shown himself to be real, to be faithful. Two quick examples. When Faye and I were out at the ranch and at Circle J years and years ago, I can't believe how many years ago now, but we had an old pickup. 
And, and I'm going to tell you something. When we stepped out on faith and started the ranch, there are a lot of things I don't miss about Circle J Ranch. But there are some things I miss. And I'm telling you, it was a daily, daily trust of God to provide. And he did. It was one of the most exciting times of our life. And I could give you just example after example of how God supplied. But we had an old pickup. And that pickup blew its engine. And we needed that pickup to get around. We we needed it desperately. And so after we hauled that pickup back to the house, I'm not sure what we're going to do. Uh, I knew it was going to be costly. We we had no money. I knew it was going to be costly. And so that night we gathered all the girls together during our devotion time. And all of them came and they sat down and I told them, the pickup blew an engine. And it's going to be three, four, maybe $500 to get it fixed. And they know how bad we needed that pickup. I said, but we're not going to complain. What we're going to do is we're going to sit here and we are going to be thankful. We're going to praise God that that pickup blew its engine so that we're able to see him at work on our behalf. I want, I'm thankful that God is going to show himself strong on our behalf, and this is God's way of showing you girls how much he loves you. Wow. Am I sure I want to say all that? But I did. And that night, we all went to bed. The next morning, I think Faye and I were up, and the girls were all getting dressed, getting ready for school. And there was a on the door. And I went and I opened the door, and there was a hitchhiker, a guy that looked like he'd been out on the road for who knows how long, with a guitar strung across his back, and at the door, and I said, hi, can I help you? He said, yeah, I was passing through town. I heard about this place. And God said for me to come and give you this $1,000 cash because something was going on here, and you needed it. This ministry needed it. And my mouth fell open. You know, and some of the girls were behind me, and, and they went, and one of them said, God bless us. Well, he had already proven that 2,000 years before, but it was kind of hitting closer to home. And this guy handed it to me. I said, I, I, think, I don't even know what the guy's name is. I didn't give his name. Didn't get his address. He turned around and walked away, and I was dumbfounded. And he, turned, he took a couple of steps, and he stopped and said, Oh, and this guitar. You can have that. Well, our daughter had been praying for a guitar. She hadn't told anybody. See, that's God's faithfulness. One more. One more. Didn't happen at the ranch. It happened right here. It happened right here. When we first moved into this building, it was a lease purchase deal. We'd stepped out on faith. 
didn't have any money then either. And uh, we were here, I think, a year or two years or something, and then this, we had to exercise that lease purchase. And so we went to the bank, and we'd been here two years, and the bank that advertises about financing churches, <laughs> they wouldn't finance us. And by the way, I've met them at several KSIV pastor appreciation lunches, and I've told them, I remember your church, but I mean, your bank. But anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> uh, and we went to them, and they turned us down. They said, no, we, we can't loan you people any money. Well, and we had a little bit of money, and we'd been paying our bills, and we could, we'd been paying the payment. We just wanted to get it out from under uh, the people that, that had that was carrying it. And that next Sunday, after they turned it down, it was much like this. And I, at the end, I said, the bank turned us down. I think maybe Mike was the only one here at that time. And so we stood as a congregation. And we thanked God that the bank turned us down. Because that just told us that God had something down to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. That's who we trust in. So if God's going to turn, I mean, if the bank's going to turn us down, it's just because God had something even greater in store to show that I want you there. That was that Sunday. The following Sunday, somebody had came, had, had offered to give us the money and able to buy the building. And then, or give a, a sizable down payment so that we could go to the people that were, had been carrying it and saying, what if we gave you this amount? Will you, instead of being a lease purchase, can we just continue making payments to you if we give you this much money down? And they were fooling, yeah, yeah. See, had we gone to the bank, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to see God at work. My friends, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You can take that to the bank. Take that to the bank. Including, but not just material, physical. More importantly, your need for salvation. Trusting Him. Meet your need for redemption through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and how thankful we are that you are the true God of heaven, that we know you personally, knowing that heaven is our home, knowing that we can trust your word, we can trust you. Father, we thank you for loving us so very much. We thank you for that sacrifice that you went through in order to purchase our redemption. We praise your name for that. Now, Father, we come before you. We pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never by faith trusted you, that they will not leave until by faith they know that you died for them, you were buried, and you rose again. 
And Father, they'll trust you for that salvation and be made a new creation. That you indeed supply all of our need according to your riches and glory. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.